Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Club. This is the place everyday real estate investors gather to share their best stories, biggest insights, and favorite tactics to grow a portfolio of cash-flowing properties in today's market. Here's your host, Gabe Peterson. All right. We are back with another episode of the Real Estate Investing Club. Today, we have Ryan Chaw with us uh, down in sunny California. Um, Ryan focuses on the room hacking technique, which we covered in the last episode, but we love that technique. I uh, I got some good information about it. And so super excited to dive into this. Ryan, thank you very much for hopping on the show. Sounds good. Thanks, Gabe. Thanks for the introduction. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I told you before we got on here, we like starting with stories. So take us to the beginning of your story. How'd you get started in real estate? Yeah, so I actually had a grandpa who invested in a few properties in the San Francisco Bay Area back in the 50s when they were dirt cheap. And now we all know they appreciated like crazy, you know, rental income went up and everything. And he was able to not only retire early uh, for his age, uh, he was also able to help cover part of my college tuition and that of my brothers as well. So I realized that real estate investing is one of the best ways to create generational wealth. And I have my grandpa as an example. So I just started buying as soon as possible. I think in 2016, uh, somewhere at the end of the year, I bought my first property, um, which was about a year after I started working. Uh, I just worked a bunch of overtime. I worked like 16, 15, 16 hour double shifts. Um, and then I also worked at, um, a retail pharmacy as well. So I, you know, graduated as a pharmacist, worked a lot of overtime, saved up as much capital as I could. And so I used that to buy my first few properties. Eventually I was able to reinvest the cash flow that those were generating as well as the equity using a HELOC to purchase more and more properties. Now I own 14 properties. This is my seventh year of investing about. Um, I have some in California, Ohio, and Alabama, and a total, man, I, I mean, it keeps changing because we continually add properties, but I think we make about like four, uh, close to $40,000 a month in rental income on those properties. And our highest producing properties are anywhere from $2,500 to $3,500 per month in cash flow. That's after all the expenses, um, you know, miscellaneous expenses. Nice, man. I love it. Um, I, I like that you know you did this over seven years. It sounds about two properties per year. I feel like this is a very realistic um, realistic model for people to follow out there who have the W-2, who are going to work. They want to use real estate as an avenue to actually you know, retire when they want to. Um, so I love, yeah. the, I love what you've done. I love the strategy. I love uh, that you learned from your grandpa. It is so great when we have family members who are in real estate who can show us the ropes. Um, yeah. And even just give us the motivation. It sounds like that's really what you got from your grandpa is this this realization that real estate works. Um, it works for you. It works for your future generations. Uh, so yeah. love to hear that. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes it's just knowing that it's possible. Um, I think there is a there's this um, story where I think somebody ran nobody ran a four minute mile, and then when the first person was able to do it right now, all of a sudden, like three other people were able to do it a month later or something like this. And yeah. so sometimes you just need to see what's possible to, you know, know that you don't really have limits. Right. Yeah. 
yeah that and that's a great example it was, it was in like the 50s or something when he first ran the, the yeah four i forget his name but yeah yeah exactly. and then everybody's just fucking yeah. crushing it now if you run a four yeah. minute it's like whatever <laughs> dude, that's that's not a fast mile even yeah. though i would never be able to run a four minute mile but right um but yeah it's a great example uh being able you know just having that that model for you to kind of look at and be like okay this is possible it's it's done by my grandpa it's done by this other person that i can do it myself so um so you started out take us to the first property you did you you used the heloc or no you couldn't have done it because you didn't you didn't have the right. so the first property you, you bought how did you buy it um how'd you underwrite it all that stuff yeah i actually did conventional financing on the first property i didn't know what i was doing to be honest and none of <laughs> so us sometimes do it's better here. just to get started even if you don't know what you're doing so i did like a hundred thousand dollar town payment and then i did um a 10-year loan which is like completely different than you know the normal right uh, but it was conventional uh funding and then i uh, basically just had all that cash flow I, you know i had a lot of problems actually with the first property um and so the first year or two it, it did not you know, it did not cash flow. I, I actually lost over 30000 in the first year of buying it because I had the sewage line break. Oh. And I had these tenants who called me on the weekend at like 11 p.m. And they're like, dude, there's sewage that's coming out of the kitchen <laughs> sink. It's all over the kitchen floor. It's backing out of the showers into the restrooms, you know. And so I had to get like a cleaner out there, the sanitizer there in the middle of the night. And it was, you know, it was a horror story. Eventually we had to replace the whole line, install a sump pump and everything costs about like $9,000 just for that. That's actually, Um, that's cheap for for everything you just listed. Yeah, exactly. Depending on how much line you have to replace. So lesson learned from that was always do a sewage lateral line inspection during the home inspection uh, phase because the home inspection will not they will not add that unless you explicitly ask for it. Right. So, um, yeah. And those mistakes, mistake. I mean, those mistakes, I, I like that you kept going after that because the first property, if you don't have a win, if it's not like just a home run, it's so hard to, you know, yeah. pick yourself up after that because now you've, you've been hit in the face and you're like, God damn it. Does this even work? But you kept going. I love to hear that. And you got a oh, good yeah. lesson from it, which is scope those sewers, man, make sure that those lines are not going to break on you. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's just about, being persistent, that's the most important. Um, if, if you have any trade as a real estate investor, I would say persistence is the most important thing. And I have my grandpa as an example, but obviously you guys will probably hear this podcast and you'll you know, hear there's plenty of people who are run-of-the-day people who are able to make this happen for themselves. So yeah, I kept continued going. I also lost a lot of money because I had to replace uh, HVAC at that house, get a brand new um, AC. And that cost me 15000 because I did mini splits. Um, and then we had all these other pest issues. Uh, everything that could go wrong went <laughs> wrong on that house. Because I think the main thing is because it was 100 years old. Yeah. So there's a lot of outdated uh, stuff at the house that had to be replaced. Yeah. And so, you know, I took a loss, obviously. I, I actually started, <laughs> I think, a year or two or so, I started running out of money. So I started um, actually involving my dad as well. So... Mm. I said, hey, for that first house, let's put an extra bedroom in there. And then if you cover that extra bedroom cost and then some of the costs of those major repairs I had to make, um, I'll give you the rent for that bedroom for the rest of your life. Right. And then after that, obviously, it goes back to me when if he passes away. Um, so he gets five fifty per month for the rest of his life. Um, and I think he invested like 20000 or something like this. It was just like a promissory note, you know. 
And um, so basically, he after the third year, he gets all of his money back. And after that, he ba- gets a I think it's like a 20 percent, 25 percent return uh, each Sounds year. Like a deal to me. Yeah. Six thousand a year at least. Right. Or six thousand, seven thousand. Right. So, um, yeah, that's that's what I did to, um, you know, when I was trying to run out of capital, I started borrowing other people's money. And now I'm at the point where we're kind of taking on um, investors um, loaning us money as well um, to buy uh, properties under like DSCRs and all that. Yeah. Nice. Um, So let's talk about your specific strategy. You do the room hacking strategy, which is you rent individual rooms to, you know, individual people versus renting the entire house out by itself. Why did you choose that strategy? How'd you come up with it? And how's it working for you? Yeah, so our mission is essentially, or my mission and that of my, my I took on a business partner recently, um, is to basically provide the very best student housing in the areas that we invest in. So we rent out to student college housing. students. We'll typically take like a three bed, two bath house that's pretty large square footage, usually 1800 square foot or more. And we'll put in five or six or maybe seven bedrooms. My, my largest one is a, a seven bedroom, or actually technically. My largest is an 11 bedroom, but we'll get back to that later. Um, but uh, yeah, we basically get it to six bedrooms and rent out each bedroom for 600 apiece. So that ends up being a, at least $3,600 a month. And, and which market we'll is this in? Um, several. So I have uh, some in California and Ohio and Alabama. And you're, uh, so, I'm sure the, I mean, you said 600, but those are vastly different markets. So I'm sure you're doing different. Oh yeah, rates. it depends. Yeah, for sure. So the lowest is probably 550. And then the highest, like in California, it goes up to like 850 or 930 for Sacramento, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, basically, yeah, it'll depend on the market, but I would say the average um, house that I buy will be you know, six bedroom, two bathroom house, or we make it into a six bedroom, two bathroom house by repurposing maybe the family room, or maybe dividing the living room in half and half of that being a bedroom, as long as the living room is is large enough. And, you know, our mortgage on these houses, especially the out of state ones, we buy them for like 200 to $250,000. So our mortgage is like, you know, 1190 was my first one in Ohio, up to like 1500 maybe. So if you're making $3,600 a month in the rental income, and your mortgage is only like 1200, you know, very easily 2300 to up to $3,500 in cash flow on some of my larger properties. Nice. And you're, are you doing this all with 7% interest loans or now? Does yeah, it still work yeah, in this exactly. current market? I mean, are you still underwriting well or how's the interest oh, yeah. rate affecting so you? So we bought one in Ohio recently with a 7.125% interest rate. And um, the mortgage is like 3200 or 3100 It was a duplex. And each side is five bedrooms, two baths. So we have 10 people there. Um, rental income is around 63 or 6,400 a month. And so, you know, 6,400 minus the $3,200 mortgage payment per month, it still brings you to like $3,200 a month. So, um, yeah, even at today's interest rates, the income is very good or the cash flow is very good. And it's going to be even greater, obviously, when we refinance all of these, if rates drop. You know, we're not counting on it because we still have really good cash flow. It doesn't really matter to us. Um, but when they do drop, we can always refinance and every house maybe makes an additional 200, maybe $300 a month in cash flow. Perfect. And are you guys, um, 
you're you're financing this with conventional lending, I'm assuming. And do you mm-hmm. put what's the DSCR that you guys go for? How much do you put down? Like yeah. the, the financial overview um, sure. of what you're looking like when you go into these. Yeah. So typically the down payment is always 20, 25% uh, for investment properties. I mean, I did do a second home at one point. Um, and you know, you have to live in it for 14 days if you do it that route. Um, and so some days. people start that right. 14 days. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was like two years. Uh, no second home. Yeah. So 14, if you occupy it 14 days of the whole, the year, like a vacation home, for example. Right. Yeah. And you can, for the rest of the year, you can potentially rent it out on Airbnb or, you know, rent it to a long-term renter. It, it really depends. You, you have to talk with your lender because every lender is a little bit differently, but yeah, some of the, um, some of the lenders will do like, yeah, live in it for 14 days. That meets the occupancy requirement. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, all these are investment loans. Um, uh, investment conventional loans. And eventually you'll run to a point where you can only do 10 properties under conventional loan. So if you get to that point where you have more than 10 properties, you have to start moving towards a more commercial side loan, which is the DSCR loan. And as long as the rental income is like 1.1 times or one times the monthly more, the estimated monthly mortgage payment on that property, you will be approved for a DSCR loan. A DSCR loan does not actually look at your income, your debt to income ratio. Um, it does look at credit score, but it doesn't look at like your W-2. You, you know, you could be self-employed or you could not be working at all and still get a DSCR loan because it uses and the estimated rental income on the property. don't know, um, people listening don't know DSCR, it's debt service coverage ratio. Um, right. And I think you were just going to explain it. So go ahead. Oh, yeah, no, exactly. It's debt service coverage ratio. So they take your estimated monthly rent and divide it by basically your um, loan, uh, monthly loan. Um, and if that's, um, you know, if it's one to 1.5 times the uh, monthly mortgage payment, then you're basically qualified for the loan in most cases. Yeah. Yeah. So that's taking the, the not your income, it's taking the income of the property. Exactly. Um, so that's why it's so cool. And that's why I love commercial properties. You can do this on single family too in specific situations, but I love commercial specifically because of this. Um, I would never do a one to one ratio DSCR. I, I look for at least 1.2, 1.25. But um, yeah, but yeah uh, it, it's great. And I love that you're using the same strategy uh, for single family. I actually haven't heard of that. People you know, really executing this at scale. So Love to hear that. Um, I just took a peek at the clock. It looks like we've run it down. So we do have to move on. But I've loved everything you've shared with us so far. So thank you for that. Of course. Um, But that pushes us into the quick question round. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's do do it. it. Starts with books or any form of education. I need two recommendations. One for general life wisdom and then one for real estate specific. I would say Rich Dad Poor Dad for real estate specific or Millionaire uh, Real Estate Investor by Gary Keller. I, I really feel that one's great for like building teams, building systems. Um, and then for general life, uh, I would say Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, if you're into Stoicism. Yeah. Bro, I sing <laughs> that that's exactly my favorite book. I love that book. It's my favorite toilet book too, because you can sit on the toilet, pick it up, yeah. get some good wisdom, and then move along with your day. So great recommendations. <laughs> exactly. Thank yep. you for that. Uh, moving on to the next question. This is for your younger self. Um, so let's go back to the Ryan who was just watching his grandma, grandpa, um, you know, invest in those properties and uh, pay for your college education. Go back to him, look him in the eye, give him one piece of advice moving forward. I would say don't be so afraid, I guess, mm-hmm. to 
uh, I, honestly, it all brought me to where I am today. So I have no regrets. But I would say, yeah, just don't be afraid to do something you're uncomfortable with. Because when you're uncomfortable, that means you're growing. And you're not, if you don't feel comfortable, I mean, sorry, if you if you feel comfortable throughout this whole journey, then that means you're probably not growing or you're not growing as fast as you should be growing. Right. Yeah. And especially that first deal, you are going to be shitting your pants. It's going to be scary, yeah. uh, but you just got to get through with it. You got to do it uh, because, you know, every every deal I buy, I'm never like, oh, this is just a slam dunk. There is no chance that this is ever going to go wrong. Yeah. I'm always thinking of the things that can go wrong. And so you're always going to be a little bit afraid, but you got to make take that action because that's the only way forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so great advice. Uh, let's go to the next question. And this is about your business. The first three positions we hire form the foundation of our business. So what were they for you? And would you do it differently if you did it again today? Three foundations of a business? The first three positions you hired to to run your business. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the first one was because we rent by the room. I have, you know, 75 tenants or something like this. So the first one was obviously bookkeeping <laughs> mm-hmm. because I was doing it like pretty much full time or like, I don't know, 24 hours a week. It was crazy. It was just too much. So uh, that was the first thing I did. I outsourced it um, to a guy in the Philippines and he, he does excellent work at it. Oh, wow. And we pay him, you know, 600 a month, which is very good for the Philippines. That's a full-time job, even though he's doing it part-time. Um, so he set up the systems for that. The second one was like a VA to kind of handle some of the marketing. Um, because we have a lot of students coming in, we are pretty robust with our marketing. You know, we get several leads every, every single day and someone has to follow up with all those leads. So our VA kind of does all that type of work and posts our ads and all of that. Um, and then the third person, I mean, we're, we're looking for a good accountant, honestly, um, and a good lawyer. We're, we're, we, so we have a good lawyer, but, you know, we're still exploring for, all of that. So I would say accountant and lawyer are definitely up there for sure. Yep, absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. Next question is about the US. It's a big place, a lot of opportunity out there. Give me the single metro you're most excited about investing in today. Ooh, I want to invest in Houston, Texas, actually. Houston. All right. Yeah, I love the love those Texas markets. Good growth. Yeah. Plus I, I like Texas barbecue. Um <laughs> down to uh what's it called austin texas man their barbecue is really good yeah any any reason to go down and eat some barbecue i'm down for that <laughs> um i've heard uh actually i don't was it houston or was it san antonio one of the two um is projected to have the greatest uh population growth through like 2040 or something like that. wow yeah um i can't remember yeah. which one it was but yeah there's a lot of opportunities there for sure and they're landlord yeah. friendly so yep all right. Next question is about finding deals. So uh, it all starts with finding the deal, talking to the seller, getting it under contract. What is your favorite way to find deals? Yeah. Um, if it's just about the platform, honestly, I, I still find a lot on Zillow and Realtor.com. Um, but as far as the systems for how I do this, I look for top quality, a top quality college, like a top US News college, um, so that I can be 
you know, the people that I bring in will be high quality tenants. Um, people who are getting like professional degrees, maybe doctorates, engineering, MBA, law. I was going to say, I do not consider college students to be top quality tenants, but I, I get you. I get you. <laughs> yeah. So most of ours are actually grad students, believe it or not, oh, okay. because a lot of the campuses, they provide camp, uh, housing for undergrad, but they provide like zero housing for grad students, right? Yeah. So most of the off-campus students I get, they've already gone through that four-year program. They're like, They've already drank their 20,000 beers that they needed to drink and punch through <laughs> exactly. walls and all that stuff. So. Yeah, but think about it. You know, someone who's like a medical resident or fellow or, you know, they're pursuing their law degree. They're pretty much studying most of the day. They're at school most of the time. They don't have time to, like, ruin your house or anything like this. And I, over seven years of doing this, I've never really had to keep a security deposit unless it was like something like he leaned back in his chair and he broke a window or something like that. Um, but yeah, I've never had to keep a deposit due to like parting or anything like that because we invest in their really top quality colleges where people have probably a, you know, 3.5, 4.0 GPA and they're really focused on getting that doctorate degree. Um, I also invest in neighborhoods that are safe, very important for students, right? If you see like homeless people walking around, a lot of trash on the streets, uh, parents going to look at that and says, I don't want my child to stay there, right? Um, you know, just to be blunt. Um, so I, I do try to uh, look at areas that students like talk about that are very popular. And I usually go to Reddit for that. Um, and I also uh, will try to buy houses that are pretty large in size, at least 1800 square foot or more. So I can get that sixth, seventh or eighth bedroom in there, which creates a, a lot more cash flow. Nice. I like that. There was a, a gem you dropped in there. Um, you use Reddit to identify the the popular area yeah actually it's like a go-to for student forums and i want to know what people are talking about uh word of mouth because that's like you know when you ask somebody where do you stay where do you want to live off campus they probably you ask them like how do you know they'll say oh i just talked to my 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 housemate or i just talked to my friends right um and so most of this is through word of mouth yep there you go i love it all right. That brings us to the second to last question. This is about your strengths. We are all given gifts that we uniquely provide this world. So what is your Superman strength? I would say perseverance, persistence. I'm very persistent. Yeah. yeah. And that's super useful in real estate. That's for sure. All right. Last question. This is for the listeners. You've given us a lot to think about. I'm sure people want to reach out, get in contact with you, learn a little bit more about your strategy. So what is the best way for people to do that? Yeah. Um, so I do offer a free PDF uh, that talks about student housing, my strategy, some of the biggest mistakes I've made, um, a lot of the lessons that I learned. You can get that at www.newbierealestateinvesting.com slash guide. That's www.newbierealestateinvesting.com slash guide. And newbie is spelled N-E-W-B-I-E. Um, and then you could also send me emails uh, once you have that guide. Just click reply and I'll respond to you. Sweet. That is newbierealestateinvesting.com backslash guide. I will put that link in the show notes. So if you want to reach out to Ryan, just click a little more in the description. It'll pull down that full description in there. You can find his links. All right, All right man. That wraps it up. Thank you very much for hopping on the show. Thanks again, Gabe. It was an honor to be on your podcast. Absolutely. For everybody who's here with us today, thank you guys for showing up. You are the reason we do this. So if you guys have any questions whatsoever, reach out to me, Gabe, at the realestateinvestingclub.com. And if you guys want to support the show, all we ask is give us a like, subscribe, share, all that jazz. Other than that, I hope you guys have a great week. Keep rocking real estate. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. 
All right, before I officially sign off, I have a quick announcement to make. If you're interested in becoming a passive investor in one of my deals, my own company, Kaizen Properties, is looking for capital partners for our upcoming projects. We invest in what are known as recession-resistant assets, mainly self-storage facilities, mobile home and RV parks, and industrial properties. If you're interested in investing and would like to learn a little bit more about my company, our investing criteria, and some of the previous projects we've done, go to the Real Estate Investing Club podcast at therealestateinvestingclub.com and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page. Click on the Invest With Us button. That'll pop up the investor form. Fill that out and we will reach back out to you as soon as we can. Or if you prefer a little bit more of a personal touch, you can reach out to me at gabe at therealestateinvestingclub.com. So really, that is it. Again, it was a pleasure hanging out with you guys during this episode, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.